0: I'm Andrew Zaki, this is the From the Pews podcast, where we have conversations about truth, culture, love, and power from a Christian perspective. My guest is Father John Valadez, a priest at St. Timothy Orthodox Church in Lompoc, California. Growing up in Orange County, Father John was jaded by its fakeness and gravitated to punk rock as a rebellion against the system until he realized it wasn't. Punk rock was a false rebellion. He didn't know what orthodoxy was at the time, but he was in search of a radical Christianity that could satisfy his desire for truth and authenticity. A Monday night bible study at a tattoo parlor and a magazine called Death to the World changed his life. He found the last true rebellion. In this episode, we discuss that journey, what it means to die to the world, the Antichrist, unity among the Orthodox churches, and so much more.
1: Father John Valadez, thanks so much for uh, coming on the pod. I really appreciate it.
2: Good to be with you.
1: Um, Father, I want to start um, with your journey to Orthodoxy. You started off as as a punk rock kid growing up in orange county california what what attracted you to the punk rock scene what was that like um during the time you got into it
2: um yeah what attracted me to it was probably um a distaste uh for for a materialistic uh way of life um Anybody who has been to Orange County, especially to certain parts of Orange County, will know that um, it's very materialistic. It seems like. Um, did Did you um, grow
1: up in a like an upper class family? Were you guys? I didn't. Or?
2: I didn't grow really up in an upper class family, but I think just being surrounded by the extravagance and the, the squeaky clean materialism. Um, I don't know, it, I think it provoked in me a want for something more, for something deeper. Mm-hmm. And in punk rock, I found a rebellion against all of that stuff, against the so-called American dream, against um, a materialistic way of life, against the cookie cutter conformity, I guess, of um, kind of Orange County culture, you know, all yeah. the houses of look the same Everybody <laughs> driving the same sort of cars you know those yeah. sorts of things um
1: you should have just moved to LA <laughs> I know
2: right <laughs> and so it was uh so I think that uh being surrounded by all of that um, mm-hmm. really um really really um I don't know provoked a uh, distaste uh in in my life for that kind of a thing i just wanted something more something different i guess and Mm -hmm. punk rock um at that time satisfied the itch if you will uh, Mm -hmm. to dress different to eat different to have a different way of life um and things like that so
1: this was in the late 90s when was this
2: yeah it would be like uh, late 90s early 2000s you know mm-hmm. so it was yeah. after many of the more famous punk rock bands and grunge bands of the 80s right and- that
1: that's yeah. what i was thinking wasn't punk rock kind of dead by then
2: yeah it was sort of <laughs> it was sort of dying out you know yeah uh, but but there were but it was still a there was still a big uh subculture you know mm-hmm. uh, uh vain of kids that were still into this kind of stuff and bands still playing the music and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. there was a community of people um, that met together at shows every weekend and hung out together and things like that. So even though most of the bands were long gone, um, there was still a whole culture surrounding it, you know?
1: Do you think that was unique to you or do you think, to you and and the other kids in the punk rock scene that they were looking for something different and and there was a rebellion uh, within punk rock that was attractive. Um, Or do you think everyone kind of desires that deep down, but what they, I feel like everyone kind of thinks they're a little punk. Uh, mm-hmm. to some degree no one because no, no mm-hmm. one no one's like hey i'm establishment and and i love it <laughs> yeah, <yeah>, you know <laughs> everyone yeah. thinks they're a little punk but what what's punk right. to them is a little different i think um right but, but the manifestation of punkness if you will um i going to use the word punk a hundred times uh in punk music is is very in your face you know mm-hmm. um but i look at i look at a a character like you know, Donald Trump and the people who support him, and they think they're very punk. You know, it's sure. a punk thing to sure. do, but you sure. know they're they're not dressing in a in know, well you would say different way or whatever, right? So, what is it? Re- what do you what do you think it really means to be punk?
2: You know, it, that's a that's a really hard question to answer, and I think my disillusionment with punk rock later mm-hmm. um, is kind of bound up. In that, because at the end of the day, punk rock really became for many people what it was rebelling against. So for instance, you know, we would, let's just say style of dress, right? Mm -hmm. So we dress different in order to kind of like, you know, rebel against the conformity of the world. Right, and um but then once you're in the punk rock scene, you're dressing this way, right? If you don't, if you're not dressed the right way, or you have a certain kind of band shirt bought at a certain kind of <laughs> store in the mall, or your hair isn't spiked the right way, or <laughs> you're wearing the wrong shoes, or something like this, right? This is you're you're you'd be labeled a poser, right?
1: So you right. Could, nobody wants that. Really, that truly label. punk
2: rock, right? So. It it became everything that it hated, mm. if you will. Um, so there was its own conformity with inside of the scene itself, you know, um, and that's why I think Death of the World's uh, like tagline that uh, the monks came up with in the very beginning when they put it together, the last true rebellion, it w- strikes very strikes a good strikes a good chord because this rebellion, this punk rock rebellion, um, it ends up being the same thing at the end of the day. And so Mm -hmm. I think you're very right. You know, those who, if we're taking this Trump example, for instance, those maybe who support Trump think that they're a little bit punk rock, but those also who are against him think they're a little bit punk rock, right? And so everybody's, Mm -hmm. they have rebellions that are based on the passions, Mm -hmm. not on any kind of... um, eternal or um or some kind of a deep interchange yeah Uh,
1: let's talk about how you came to be disillusioned with punk rock and ultimately came to the conclusion you just came to now that that orthodoxy is the real you know last rebellion um so you start off in the secular punk scene and you transition to a kind of christian punk scene which i looked up some christian punk music to try to listen to it. And yeah, I don't know, father, (laughs) why'd you like that stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, my,
2: (laughs) my experience in the secular punk scene was very short, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. Though I was still in contact with it throughout uh, the time until I became Orthodox. um, My involvement in it was pretty short, because only a few years into listening to music and going to some shows, um, I met a guy in my high school that was part of this Protestant punk scene. And he played in a band in this Protestant punk scene. And he hung out with all the punk kids um, at lunchtime, you know, in high school. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and he invited me to some of the shows and gave me some music and stuff like that. So I very quickly got sucked into the Protestant punk scene and pulled out of, mm-hmm. um, pulled out of, I guess, the danger of the, the um, secular uh, punk scene, yeah. which is riddled with all sorts of drugs and alcoholism and everything like that. And is um, that
1: is that why you went to the Christian punk scene? Because no, the music, no. the music, objectively, I think, I don't know if you can agree, is worse. <laughs>
2: It 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 is in some it's in some respects it, it definitely is, uh, <laughs> um, and but you know the reason why I I I think I gravitated towards it is because I was starting to go to church with some friends, right? So mm. I was torn between this secular world and then this Protestant world, you know, and um, these bands kind of kept me christian or they're not kind of they did keep me Mm. christian because i probably would have fallen into this secular lifestyle uh pretty quickly you know in high school and um but these protestant bands were preaching a radical christianity you know a christianity that is against the world a christianity that uh, needs to be separated from the world and um, and it had some kind of asceticism to it. It had like a bite mm-hmm. of asceticism, you know, um, which I felt my Protestant church was lacking. Right. Um, and so that became my real church. You know, I went to church on Sundays all the time, but um, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday nights, um, depending on the time of the year, I was at these Protestant punk shows, mm-hmm. hanging out. Uh, friends who were who were into all of this stuff and and they went to their own churches on Sundays and so yeah we'd have these big uh, shows with mosh pitting and all kinds of stuff and they would break out the acoustic guitars and play (laughs) (laughs) doesn't
1: that doesn't that say something uh that the kind of the the way you know punk rock music inherently just the tempo, the screaming, the stuff doesn't really align with the, the kind of Christian ethos that they yeah. had that they switched to acoustic after, which is a little slower, softer. Yeah, um, it is interesting as, as their way of happening. worshiping, maybe. They, right, mm-hmm.
2: right, right. Yeah, it is very interesting looking back at that time for sure. Um, it does speak volumes also to, you know, the way that protestant worship is based on as well, because of course they are on a stage in front of everybody and, um, kind of in this concert venue, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, many evangelical, at least protestant, um, <clears throat> fashions that that's how they worship on Sundays is with yeah. a band in front of everybody on a stage, you know, it's very much like the concert venue, mm-hmm. um, so you know these bands faded away for the most part and broke up or moved to different parts of the country and when they did that it left a big gap among all of the all of the um, kids who were into this scene and we felt a little bit orphaned you know not really knowing what to do or what direction to go in and we didn't really have a place to meet and So many of us started to go to a Bible study at a tattoo parlor, um, led by Nat, who's now Orthodox priest, Father Turbo. He was the, he was the tattoo artist at this tattoo parlor. And so when tattooing was done, then we would do a Bible study, um, sometimes throughout the night. Sometimes I remember driving home when the sun was coming up the next morning, um, and it was just called Monday nights. Everybody knew it was Monday nights. Uh, <laughs> so every Monday night, we met together and did this. And, but I think the you know the overall goal was to try to find some this radical Christianity, um, mm-hmm. and to try to find something more than what we were experiencing on Sundays. And Father Turbo, actually, you know, I don't know if you've heard some of his journey, but part of that journey and finding orthodoxy was that he, his wife worked for a, for a, for a Coptic man, a Coptic man. And they, he, he invited them over for dinner at a, at a, at their house. And when uh, Father Turbo walked in, he saw an icon of Christ uh, and it really struck him as an artist. And he stayed Mm. up talking to this guy uh, for a long time and, I think he got some books and things like that from him um about orthodoxy about the early church type of a thing and that kind of kick-started his his intrigue mm-hmm. uh, with the early church and um, years later he would end up converting and telling everybody at the bible study about it and um then a few uh, a few of us would come in a little bit at a time and so the first year, thirty of us were baptized together, just about. And the next year, we had the same amount, uh, just uh, just about, come in as well. And then slowly ch- started to taper off after that. But um, one of those big, the big um, tra- part of our transition was finding um, Death to the World magazines mm-hmm. that, that were published in the '90s by. St. Herman of Alaska Monastery, and um, we come to find out that many of these bands we listened to stole their lyrics and artwork and slogans and stuff from death to the world, just never told anybody about orthodoxy. Um, and so orthodoxy, that ascetic bite of, of um, these punk rock bands was all um, orthodox stuff, just mm-hmm. without just being plagiarized, you know? Um, So orthodoxy was with with us the entire time. Mm -hmm. We just really didn't know it until, until later.
1: Well, what's an example of something that uh, they plagiarized that had a, that was orthodox that. Yeah. They would just pass off as.
2: So there's one band called officer negative and they had a song, their most famous song. It was like, the song they always ended their set with. It was a song that was like the war cry that everybody would like <laughs> pump their fist and sing along with. What The song was literally called uh, Death to the World. And that was the chorus. Um, <laughs> and so everybody was yelling Death to the World, you know? Um, and, and it was all about, you know, dying to oneself, dying to the world, embracing Christ, forming Christ in us, that kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then there was another band called Head Noise who that one of their popular songs was called War and the very beginning to um, a book that the Death of the World authors had put together in the 90s called Youth of the Apocalypse. I think it's the prologue or the introduction. Uh, in, anyways, in the very beginning of the book, um, they took the lyrics for their song just straight from the book itself. Um I even have it like memorized from war to war death and genocide we fought for money and power and lies there's this whole like string of of the the entire paragraph that mm-hmm. was for the most part plagiarized and used um in this song you know that was very popular mm-hmm. so things were just straight taken uh yeah. straight taken
1: and for people who don't know or aren't familiar with the punk scene, these zines, their magazines, and could you elaborate a little on what Death to the World was and, and, uh, yeah, and how, how the zines spread and, and kind of the history of that?
2: Definitely. Yeah, so they, zines in the punk rock scene <clears throat> were basically like little uh, magazines that could be photocopied and passed out they were usually um, typed out or written out and glued and pasted together with pictures and images and then hand photocopied and passed out at shows or passed out, you know, around town or at record stores and things like that. And um, so uh, they were they were just easily available. You know, one could uh if one got a magazine at a show, they could take it, they could take that zine they got and make a copy of it and then pass it out somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So they can spread this way, kind of like an underground uh, press, if you will. And, mm-hmm. and zines would be filled with all kinds of stuff. They could be political, they could be about gardening, they could be about making soap to you know, um, some kind of social, economic you know um, theme or whatever. There's all sorts of themes to to these scenes and so um justin marler who was part of the he, he was in this band called sleep and part of um the kind of punk rock metal scene in the bay area in san francisco he he left the band and left the scene and became a monk at this monastery in platina northern california and when when he's he still
1: died. is he still a monk there
2: he's not a monk there anymore um mm-hmm. he, he is now a layman and he lives in texas okay um and we're still in contact and 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 uh talk pretty regularly here and there so he wanted to reach out to this scene that he had left behind right and also there was a little bit of um contention because many of the friends kind of wrote him off as kind of a sellout because he gave himself to religion, you know, Mm -hmm. and he wanted to show that this is the answer to their rebellion, to their distaste for the world, that orthodoxy was the answer. And so he put together um, a, a zine called death to the world and Mm -hmm. it was supposed to be a striking title in order to grab attention, um, which, which it does. And it continues to do. Um even it, it even among Orthodox people, you know, I get I get e- emails all the time like you shouldn't call this, it's so violent, et cetera. Et yeah cetera. I
1: actually wanted to bring that up. I saw I saw like the <laughs> comments about uh, I'll ask you about that later. But yeah. yeah
2: so know. it's uh it's a quote from Saint Isaac of Syria. Mm-hmm. And Saint Isaac talks about how um when we when we use the world when we use the word world, we mean the passions. And he goes on to list the passions. The passions um, are as follows. And he's a you know lust of the flesh, uh, a, a, a want for um, a pride and position, envy, wanting to adorn oneself with luxor- luxurious clothes and ornaments and things like this, right? So he goes on to list all of the passions. And then he says at the end of the quote, and we print this in every magazine, he says at the end of the quote, basically, um, see which, for which passions you are alive and which passions you are dead. And then you will know how far you are alive to the world and how far you are dead to the world. So um, death to the world is literally, if we're using St. Isaac's quote is to put the passions to death, um, to put the flesh to death um, in us. And so it was a catchy way of uh, grabbing the attention of young punk rockers who were, disillusioned to or even had a hatred for some kind of Christianity Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and tricking them into, I guess, uh, opening the magazine and starting to read uh, what was inside of it. Because if it was some kind of blatant Christian image, if it was packaged in kind of maybe a Protestant way or Roman Catholic way, um, it probably would have been neglected and it probably wouldn't have been read um, as much as it did Mm-hmm. and it was read and so it was a covert uh wise way to get the magazine circulated and read yeah because um, yeah,
1: if you were <laughs> holding some traditional uh, zine with like uh, traditional catholic imagery i'm sure <laughs> you wouldn't be uh, you wouldn't be popular at the punk scene right yeah. why why is that why 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 is there such a distaste or animosity uh, towards Christianity and maybe maybe other forms of organized religion in mm-hmm. the punk scene.
2: I think that the I think that the the church, uh, all Christianity in general, um, is looked at as uh, kind of a co-conspirator with with um, with the system, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, The system that has wronged us, the system that has lied to us, the system that continues to corrupt the world and this kind of a thing. And so there's a theme throughout um, majority of uh, punk rock bands Mm -hmm. and lyrics and slogans that are anti-religion, anti-the Pope, anti-Christ, anti-any of these, you know, I mean. Yeah, even, even in that band, you know, one of the most popular Christ, uh, popular secular punk rock bands is the Sex Pistols, and <clears throat> "I am, I am the Antichrist" is the you know opening to one of their most famous songs. Yeah. So,
1: it's interesting because I think in culture, society today, um, Christian, you know, mainstream culture, politics is Christianity is rejected. So I would think naturally you'd want to gravitate toward, but I mean, punk rock's not really a big thing anymore, but mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, when, when historically would you say this kind of sentiment in, in Western society started that uh, Christianity is a co-conspirator with, uh, you know, the system, consumerism, uh I know Marx obviously, you know, said Christianity's you know, the opioid of the masses and mm-hmm. things like that. So when did that kind of mood start where Christianity <clears throat> started being blamed in part um, for, for the woes of, of, you know, the common man, if you will?
2: Yeah. You know, I think, I think it has always been there in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've I, I remember, you know, growing up in the 90s and it was kind of taboo for an adult to say they were an atheist. You know, everybody was a Christian in the 90s. Uh, if you were a, a respectable adult, you know, um, yeah. and you may go to church just on Christmas or maybe on Easter, maybe not either of those. But if somebody were to ask you on the street, are you a Christian? Um, or do you believe in God? The answer would definitely be yes, uh, for the most part. Um, but now, you know, things are are different. It's the opposite, and but I don't. But I think that now maybe it is a little more truthful than it was back then. You know, um, there is this Christian facade, I think, in our culture that we supposedly were Christians and we supposedly uh, kept morals and things like this in order to be good, shiny people, you know, like good little boys and girls. Um, but um, behind it all, there was not really a heart for Christ and there was not really a heart for um, the church or to be truly live a, a true life as a Christian, to have. Uh, daily prayers to read scripture that kind of a thing was was almost non-existent uh, among mm-hmm. the masses in the 90s though many of them would say um, back then that they were christians or they believed in god you know mm-hmm. um now i th- now i think we're in a little bit of a better position even though it seems like a worse position mm-hmm. a little bit of better position because that facade has been removed yeah You know, and the reality of what People really want, or um, what they're really, what their hearts desire is now is able, in some ways, to be um, accepted and expressed. You know, um, so I think that there has been a concerted effort to link um, Christian um, ideals or morals with uh, the kind of with, with a, a view that, uh, Christianity is the oppressor, you know, right. uh, doesn't allow us to live who, out who we truly are, you know, but I think this has always kind of been there. If we look at movies, um, in the seventies, eighties, nineties, I think it's always been there mm-hmm. It's now the real, the real man behind the curtain, if you will, um, is able to be seen, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um, since you mentioned movies, um, are you are you one of those who believe I do that movies are basically just uh, psyop campaigns and, <laughs> uh, you know, like uh, you know Christopher Nolan's coming out with another movie, The like Oppenheimer. I don't know if you've heard yeah. about that one. It's yeah. probably going to be the biggest movie i don't know maybe of the past decade um Mm -hmm. and they're not just in this they're not just it's not just entertainment and i think that's kind of one of the things you're kind of bringing up is seeing past the facade Mm -hmm. um do do you have an opinion on what's going on really in in pop culture through media movies, music, and what a how a Christian should approach those things, stay away from them, uh mm-hmm. not watch them, not listen to secular music.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit detached from like I guess um popular media and movies mm-hmm. and things like that because I do think that um it is very harmful. Um to a person it can be very harmful to the soul um and and for other reasons too you know there's there's a great letter by alexander solzhenitsyn before he it was his last letter um before he was exiled from russia and he kind of gives like rules uh how how a person is to live with dignity in a communist society he said and he says if we're not brave enough to go out in the street and protest, you know, and be captured and thrown in prison, then at least we can follow these rules. And he gives a list. I don't know if it's Ted rules or something like that. But in his in his list, one of those rules is to um, that if you're in a lecture, attending a lecture or watching something that has lies in it, do not participate in it and to get up and walk out. That was one of, his, um, one of his rules that he gave. We'd and... be
1: walking out of everything.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. How could any college
1: student graduate?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That's a tough th- one. So I think what the, the big takeaway from that is that we have to really be um, careful with not only what we're participating in, but also what we're um, letting in and what we're watching. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we if we don't agree, for instance, with um, the way that the LGBTQ movement, for instance, is going, um, and but yet we still watch shows or um, help fund movies, right, by going to the movie theater and watching these movies that have this stuff in it. Um, Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be so, we shouldn't, we shouldn't think that like, it doesn't affect us, you know, when we're letting Mm -hmm. images come into, to our eyes, it's not passive, you know, Mm -hmm. watching a movie is not passive. Um, It is still making some kind of impression on the soul. And so we have to be careful with what we're letting in, uh, what we're participating in and um, what we're allowing to continue to kind of, um, you know, uh, progress in Mm -hmm. our culture, if you will, even Mm -hmm. though it's not really progression. Um,
1: So one one way to combat that is to not participate in it, but do you think Christians should actively oppose it and, and by maybe creating an alternative i know i I don't know if you've heard of angel studios they're the kind of people behind the chosen series and Mm. and this new movie sound of freedom if you've heard about it Mm -hmm. um have you do do you have any thoughts on that and um, is that a is that a good approach or should is even participating in it uh you know one movie i think we've both we've both seen because i know you're uh Love Saint Nicktarios, is man of God too. So yeah. I thought I thought that was great. I'd love to see way more movies like that. act was made. The movie was well made. Definitely. Yeah.
2: No, I think it's good to participate in in movements against what is going on and to cultivate mm-hmm. alternatives for it for sure. Um, and I think that there are more people out there that want these alternatives than mm-hmm. what the zeitgeist is letting on to you know um i think when people are making these um these alternatives for the most part they're pretty successful Um, yeah they have been and uh Uh, so it shows that there's a thirst you know for something outside of um this uh kind of propaganda machine (laughs) yeah yeah um
1: i want to go back i want to go back to the uh the bible study with father turbo at this tattoo parlor we kind of glossed over that a little too quickly um how how did that how did that start were you guys like his customers and he was talking about christ and he said hey let's start a bible study what's what's the origin story there
2: yeah you know i don't know because i came into it later i got a question to ask him like okay what the origin story from the bible study is um You know, I would guess that it kind of started off in um, a more casual way like that, but I'm not sure exactly. I know when we first when I first started going, there was a women's Bible study that his wife did and then a men's Bible study that was at a tattoo parlor. And so they were both they were separated. Um, Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, uh, we converged them both together at the tattoo parlor. Um, And it became a lot bigger after that. Um, But that's, that's really the only like background I have to it. You know, the Mm -hmm. structure of it was that we, that we showed up and we, I don't remember if we did like, or like, I don't know if we did like Protestant praise songs or anything on a guitar. I don't remember that. Uh, I could be totally wrong and be corrected on that for sure. But I don't remember like busting on an acoustic guitar and doing little praise songs or anything like that, but we might've, but the real meat of it all was, um, was studying a certain, certain part of scripture and really having an in-depth conversation um, about it, you know, mm-hmm. and questions and um, you know, a lot of people are going through a lot of different stuff and addressing those things that, were addressed in a way that our churches on Sunday were not addressing um, the issue. Um, Do
1: you think, uh, do you think the fact that it was, it sounds like it was a men's uh, Bible study, help facilitate more open dialogue and discussion?
2: Maybe, maybe I think it's just also the, the people, you know, um, Mm -hmm. especially father turbo's person that led it because, He really has a bleeding heart for people, you know, and a real love for people. He's a great pastor and um, a really salt of the earth type of guy, you know, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And so I think that's what mostly uh, really facilitated it, you know.
1: Do Do you do a regular Bible study at your parish now?
2: We do a regular study. We don't always go through a part or section of scripture, but every Wednesday we have like a a parish um, education type of a night. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I give lectures depend uh, on different subjects. So right now we're going through the divine liturgy, but um, a couple of lectures ago, we went through the book of the beginning of the book of Genesis and things like that. And so, there are, um, you know, different topics that we go through, but not always like a book of scripture.
1: Yeah. So death to the world, um, the tagline of, uh, you know, the last true rebellion. And, and you mentioned that St. Isaac quote, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, I've heard you say that uh, passions are inversions of God's gifts. Uh, what does that mean?
2: Um Saint uh, Maximus Confessor is really great at explaining this and he talks about basically how the the passions are just mutations or inversions of the virtues you know um so for every virtue there's uh, a twisted version of it that is a passion you know um chastity is twisted and inverted into um lust for instance or Mm -hmm. uh fasting into gluttony um all of these things right um Mm -hmm. temperance and um and being content it can be um twisted into a lust for more want for more right and and envy for others if what they have with if they have what we want and those kinds of things, and so um, he would he would say that all of the virtues are are, are attributes or characteristics of God, right? And um, characteristics that we were created with in His image, um, but because of our fall, we have mutated or perverted the pa- the, the virtues into passions. Mm. Um, so, um, getting rid of the passions is not just Cutting them out of our life. It's not just to stop lying. It's not to just stop looking at porn on the internet. It's not to just stop um, eating too much or stop being angry or whatever. It's actually the cultivation of the virtue, which is the opposite of our passion, you know, um, to cultivate chastity, uh, both. Uh, with our eyes and what we look at and also with our heart, right? And to cultivate honesty, not just with not lying, but also with uh, speaking, telling the truth, and uh, looking at things with a clear perspective in our own mind, right? And so um, we have just perverted what God has created us with. Mm -hmm. And so the spiritual life is all about um, correcting that perversion, and, um,
1: why doesn't it? Why doesn't it feel good? Just like the passions, you know, the passions feel good right yeah. away. But what you're saying, I- I'm sure you're gonna tell me it's gonna feel good later. Just keep, <laughs> just keep doing it. But, but <laughs> fasting, temperance, yeah. you yeah. know, patience—they they, don't—they don't seem, you know, content, contentness. That doesn't seem very. Uh, it doesn't yeah. seem like a gift you know <laughs> those are god's <laughs> gifts you know <laughs> you know i kind yeah. of i'll take yeah. a
2: different gift please um sure. you know it, it is to say that the passions always give a immediate pleasure or satisfaction um but in the end they always end up in pain right and the opposite is true many times for the virtues is that they all, they always, when we're cultivating them, require some kind of pain, but in the end they give true pleasure, lasting pleasure, the kingdom of God, uh, the pleasure of, of grace of the Holy spirit. And, um, so it's kind of like, um, if you take this analogy, it's kind of like working out. For instance, you know, um, when a person works out, they they have to endure a certain amount of pain, right, in order to a, attain a a certain physique or um, a healthy a healthy disposition in their life physically right? They have to endure some kind of pain, whether that's running or lifting weights or whatever it may be. The soreness, right? The, the feeling of being out of breath, all that kind of stuff takes pain and it exerts a certain amount of energy. Um, but in the end, the, the um, reward for that is a healthy body, a, you know, uh, a, a, a stronger immune system and all these other kinds of things that go with it. You know, Um, but, um, you know, if but wanting, you know, eating nachos and burritos and tacos all day sounds much better than getting up at six o'clock in the morning and taking a run around the block. You know, Um, and uh, but in the end, you know, um, if we if we continue, if we're gluttons, right, and we're lazy and we lay around at the end of our life we'll also suffer a certain kind of pain, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that be um, physical problems or mental problems or problems with our body, whatever it may be, right? And so the real question is, do we want pleasure now and then pain later? Or are we willing to endure a little bit of pain now for pleasure that's everlasting? Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Well, what if I agree with you, Father? Hey, I agree with you, Father, but I just want a little bit of pleasure. You know, I'm going (laughs) to eat nachos every day. All right, I'll go for that (laughs) 6 a.m. run, but I want to just keep a couple, a couple passions, one passion, a little small passion, you know? Um, Yeah. Is that going to prevent me from receiving God's gifts or I mean, you know, we all have our little passions that we want to keep a little bit of, right? Sure. You know, sure. I want to watch sure. that, that really bad show because just, it's just so fun for me. <laughs> you know? um, but I'll read the scriptures.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, this is our constant struggle and battle. Um, but God re- requires our entire heart, the entirety of our heart. He doesn't want just a little bit or just one room in our heart or one corner to be in, but Mm -hmm. he wants the entirety of our heart. And I think sometimes it's when we look at ourselves, who really truly look and stand and um, stand at the abyss, I guess, and, and stare into who we truly are. All of our passions can be very overwhelming and, Um, we want to keep some of them for comfort. You know, we're scared that God might take this or that away from us. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, a, a good rule of thumb is really to look at the passion that really plagues us the most. Um, whether that be anger or greed or lust or whatever it may be, the passion that plagues us the most, the thing that we're always running to confession for, the thing that we're always, um, We have our head hanging low, you know, in liturgy or in services because of that's the first passion that we go after. Right. And then the rest of the passions we tackle later, one at a time. But Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a good way to uh, and the fathers talk about this, too, as kind of a battle tactic in the unseen warfare is to take one passion on at a time. First and foremost, the biggest one. And then leave the rest uh, for later, because um, Saint Nicodemus says we can't fight them all at the same time. Can't fight them all at the same time. So,
1: mm-hmm. how do we have the uh, clarity that to be able to do that introspection and know what our biggest passion is?
2: I think it's. I think it should be pretty obvious for anybody mm-hmm. living, even a small. Uh, A little bit of a a spiritual life Mm -hmm. you know Um, because it will be the thing that the conscience is always bothering us about Mm. or um, the thing that is always on our heart like I said in confession something like that you know Um, we have to take also a little bit of time each day and really examine what we've done throughout the day Um, I know there are some wonderful uh prayer books that have at the very end of evening prayers will have um a little a blurb that will basically say you know as you lay down to sleep um think about all your actions and movements throughout the day and um and ask ask god if we've done anything that is contrary to the will of god or that strikes our conscience to ask god to help us to correct it the next day you know and so there's a, there's a good, you know, this is a good rule to have to, to have some kind of introspection, to have some kind of um, self-reflection every day of our life. And if we can't do it every day, at least we should do it before we're going and partaking of Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. Um, Be a little bit self-aware of ourselves. You know, Um, I think the, um, you know, it's one of the problems in modern culture with all of the, the technologies we have and devices we have is that uh we're distracted not only just from life in general but we're really distracted from our own heart the movements of our own heart and what we're doing what we're letting into our life and all these kinds of things and so mm-hmm. um there it's a must to stop once in a while and mm-hmm. really look inward
1: i'm going to make a sharp right turn just because you brought up technology um it seems technology and the human are growing closer and closer (laughs) together and there's transhumanism (laughs) is becoming way more mainstream than ever um what do you think about a guy like elon musk like on the one hand oh he's pretty cool he's like kind of punk but on the other hand, is this guy like ushering, you know, the, the antichrist in? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, kind of like, I don't know. I don't know where to land on this guy.
2: Yeah, it's uh, you know, and I, I think that his uh, maybe personality is this type of personality of like we don't know where to land. You know, with mm-hmm. him, it's probably the most dangerous kind of personality. Because when somebody's evil and outright talking about evil plans, and that's all they talk about, then it's very easy to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. we should stay away from this guy. But when somebody's talking about something evil one day and the next day they're like,
3: free
2: speech or or whatever, you know, then it's harder to be like, okay, this guy is like bad, let's stay away from this guy, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this whole, his, his whole um, movement with Neuralink and trying to basically merge uh, humanity with AI and uh, so that we can, he said, he, he basically says, that, at least last time I saw a few interv- interviews on this um, Neuralink stuff is that we basically have to get these implants um, into our brain and, uh, these chips put in our brain in order to help us think faster, right? A computer can think faster. A computer can do things faster. So AI will be able to basically uh, out evolve us at some point, Mm -hmm. right? We're going to be left behind. And so we have to take this step in order to uh, save humanity, you know, um, from being overtaken by technology. And, um, you know, he at least last I, last I know, you know, he doesn't believe in God and, um, there is no, there is no worldview, um, a Christian worldview that kind of holds back, uh, mm-hmm. from, um, any kind of, uh, moral red flags or whatever that would go up, um, in, in promoting this kind of, uh, technology to be implanted into a human being, right? Um, and so it's very scary, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: think, things are moving so fast in that direction. I, I don't yeah. even think people realize, like, chat GPT and, and AI, like <laughs> like, like three months ago, nobody knew anything about that. Now everyone, <laughs> yeah. now, like, you know, your, your grandma might be using chat GPT. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's wild. It, it's crazy. It's moving it's so absolutely. fast. Um, absolutely, it's on the one hand i want to embrace that stuff because it makes life so much easier (laughs) um but on the but on the other hand um i'm 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 worried about where is this leading is that is that worry is that worry about the end times and and moving closer to the apocalypse and, and globalism and the antichrist. is that a is being worried about it wrong for christians should we just hey this is coming accept it and you know like are we should we be trying to slow it down like what what should we be doing (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) like hold up i'm not ready (laughs) yet there is definitely a healthy fear that should be had right Mm -hmm. um
1: you talk about being a balanced christian
2: we have to be balanced we can't be like obsessed with the end of the world all of the time and talking about it and being a weirdo you know um but we have to at the same time be aware of what's really going on around us. And we can't just, we can't just be, you know, throwing up like, Oh, this is a conspiracy flags everywhere. Right. We have to be balanced. You have to know what's going on really around us and uh, but not be a weirdo about it. And um, can't be sitting there obsessed with dates and prophecies and this and that, right. Life has to be balanced and the Christian worldview has to be balanced we have to, I think, be aware of what certain saints have said about the end times and what will happen and things like that, of course. Um that's just prudent, you know. Um, but to base one's whole life around it and be obsessed with it is a totally different um spirit, you know, that these elders and saints did not have um mm-hmm. when talking about this kinds of these, these kinds of things. And so Yeah, in some respects, we should try to slow it down. But in other respects, um, it it is the inevitable, you know. Um, But the thing that holds it back, that restrains, is the divine services. This is what restrains the spirit of the Antichrist, right? Mm -hmm. Because even the, the Holy Apostles talked about how the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world, right? And um, what has restrained the devils is always the divine liturgy. It's always the divine liturgy. And I think that the big thing that we missed during COVID and all all the lockdown things and the scares during all of it, um, whatever side one lands on or not in that whole debacle that happened, I think that all Christians, all or especially Orthodox Christians, need to um, see our fault in that um, there were certain hierarchs and um, priests, uh, clergy that ceased doing liturgies, you know, um, or didn't allow the people to come to liturgies. Yeah. And we did that during 2020. And since that time until now, we have seen um, moral uh, Im- immorality and depravity um, accelerated like light speed. Yeah. You know, um, and so we have to be, I think, honest with ourselves and um, hold ourselves accountable for for allowing that to happen.
1: You know, it was remarkable to me during that time. Father was. It was, it was the Protestants who were rebelling against the government yeah. and saying, yeah. well, "We're not going to close down our churches. You're crazy." And maybe yeah. they had some, you know, uh, you know. I'm not, I'm not going to be cynical. I, I just think they, they did it out of love for God. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was the Orthodox who just went up along with it, hum, ho. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and and so that's that's where I kind of struggle with Orthodoxy being punk, but very conformist. Like. Yes. We're not going to, we're not going to cause any ruckus, you know, but we're, but we're different, but
2: yeah, you know, but I think, yeah, I think, you know, like, but if we really look at, you know, because there is, there is true orthodoxy that, you know, Saint Nectarios would say it cannot be blemished by any man, right? He says it's infallible Mm -hmm. and orthodoxy is infallible, um, in that it is Christ himself, right? And so when a person steps out of of the kind of tradition or the mindset of the church, which is the mindset of Christ and begins to teach his own opinions or do his own things, Mm -hmm. right? He he is not acting as the church. He's not acting um, orthodox. And Father Seraphim said this too, you know, that, we have to we have to be orthodox in every aspect of our life, or or else we're not orthodox at all. Even if we, you know, say that we are, and we have this kind of formal name of being orthodox. And so, I think that there's also you know we, that balance too. And what happened um, years ago is that you know we had certain figures of the church want to shut down. Um, liturgies and services to the faithful and close off and bar communion in certain ways and things like that but i think if we looked at the spirit of the saints i don't think we could ever see like saint anthony the great or saint macarius the great or abba Poemen or any any of those fathers mm-hmm. um bowing down to something like that right um and closing their monasteries and not giving people communion and things like that, right? We see mm-hmm. we see the total opposite in these fathers that uh, of the desert. You know that they they put they put themselves in the face of danger, right? Um, mm-hmm. Saint Anthony the Great, when there was the persecutions happening in um, Alexandria, right, he went with his monks into Alexandria to be martyred, right. Mm-hmm. He didn't run away from the threat. He he ran to the threat and. Mm-hmm. Um, And we saw that in early um, Christian documents as well, Um, when plagues would hit in Egypt, for instance, um, I forget what plague, the name of the plague, but um, during Roman times, you know, Christians would be seen running into the cities to care for the infected that were thrown out of their homes onto the streets and all the doctors and physicians and wealthy people would be fleeing um, from the cities, you know, into more Mm -hmm. safe uh, places that they had. And so it has always been the Christians who have um, ran uh, and stood in the face of death. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, said, we'll follow Christ, no matter what will happen, uh, what will happen to us. And, that kind of boldness in the early church is really what won uh, pagans over to Christ. You know, who are these people that they don't even fear death and they don't mm-hmm. even fear sickness, you know, who are these people and what, what's, what's going on with them. Right. What are they, what are, they, what are their lives all about? Right. And mm-hmm. I think we unfortunately missed a great opportunity to be witnesses during during that time um during that COVID time
1: why why do you think we fear death so much now as opposed to the martyrs and saints uh, of our past who embrace death
2: um i think there's there's a lot of reasons but mm-hmm. um, i think a main one is you know um saint john of the ladder and one of his steps he talks about uh fear the passion of fear Mm-hmm. And Saint Isaac of Syria lists, lists this in the depth of the world uh, quote as well, um, an irrational fear or fear as a passion. Um, and, and if we were talking about, you know, the mutation of a virtue into a passion, you know, the, the trust in God's will is a virtue, right? And fear for our own selves, what may happen um, is, is a passion. And um, he talks, uh, you know, it was, so, it was so perfect for the COVID time because he talked about how uh, vainglory, fear is a daughter of vainglory, right? And our entire society, and we've been saying this for many, many years, you know, the me generation, obsessed with oneself, right? Self-centered, um, that the world has become this way. Um, entirely bound up with oneself and the worship of the self and um, the want for self-preservation and even all this uh, you know technology stuff and the transhumanism stuff is all bound up in this as well to preserve ourselves from death and mm-hmm. to preserve ourselves from this to make ourselves better right and there's this where there's this uh, emphasis on on the self um, on the self and um he says that if we're if we're full of vainglory, if we're full with a love of self, that fear is inevitably going to be one of our passions because we'll be scared that whatever we're trying to preserve will be taken away, you know and he talks about this in the lives of the desert Fathers where he says that some um... Acquire a an irrational fear of something that has never even happened, or has not happened yet to oneself, and that really plagued us during that time because we we're like, oh, what if, what if this and this and this, <laughs> what yeah. if everybody gets sick and we all die? Like, <laughs> it, it it didn't happen, it never happened, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it ha- hasn't happened to us, but we're but we're fearing that it's mm-hmm. going to happen, right? Um. His remedy for it and the latter was uh, to go out and to go to the place that you're scared of. He Mm. said one of the things that plagued the Desert Fathers was that they would develop an irrational fear of wild animals or wild beasts, right? So you're out in the middle of the desert. You have this overwhelming fear that maybe there's a lion lurking behind you and you're going to be eaten or overtaken by a pack of wolves or something like this, right? And so he, he would say, go out to the place that you, you feel that fear and stand there and pray there until that fear is overcome, you know? Yeah. So his, his remedy was go into the face of the fear. Um, so answer, to answer your question, I really think that uh, the reason why we were so captivated um, by this fear during COVID was that we we really are obsessed with ourselves and we were scared that there's, there are certain things that we want to preserve about our way of life that would yeah. be taken away from us. And we are so scared that we would that we gave up so many things about our life in order mm-hmm. to preserve um, um, what we want uh, about ourselves, you know, um, with this false hope that it will all just come back to normal one day type of a thing, which it's still... Um, I don't think has come back to normal and I don't know if it ever will um, come back to quote unquote normal, but. um.
1: And, and what's interesting about it is that uh, I agree with you. I think it was, had a lot to do with obsession and with ourselves, but, but it was always, but it was always, you know, couched in no, this is about grandma. This is about our neighbors. This is about someone else um, yes. When when really deep down, <laughs> it, was, it was just about <laughs> us. Um, yeah. And so this is part of the fakeness of Christianity, right? That gets people jaded, right? Yes. Um, for people who are jaded, and I see this all the time, every every week or so, I'll scroll Facebook, or I'll do something and I'll see someone talking about, I went to this church for so many years, and I never felt <clears throat> the love of Christ is just all hypocrites and mm-hmm. yeah and yada yada. How do we how do we respond uh, to that sentiment, to that person?
2: I think we gotta uh, I think there's some work to do in that um we have to separate the pain that people have caused us. Mm-hmm. Um and not allow it i mean it can be very real um especially in really hard circumstances um but we can't allow it to blind those uh, circumstances to blind ourselves to who christ who christ truly is right because there are hypocrites everywhere there's hypocrites in the secular world there's hypocrites in the political world um Obviously, <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> they're hypocrites, um, unfortunately, in our churches, you know. And um, so wherever we go, we will encounter some sort of human weakness. Mm-hmm. But the trick is to not allow this human weakness to, um, you know, um, distort our vision of who Christ truly is.
1: mm-hmm. OK. Um, I want to address that criticism of death to the world that maybe you hear recurring, yeah. and that it's uh, not. You know what I want to do is I'm going to share, for anyone who haven't, hasn't seen the website and the imagery, I'm going to just share the, the website. Um, One moment. Uh, I gotta pull it up. But basically, if you can describe like um, what it, you know, what it looks. is it's it's directed towards uh, punk rock punk rock yeah. scene. So yeah. obviously, it's a little darker. It's black and white. The yeah. fonts funny. There's you know skulls. Um, <laughs> uh, c- can you describe it? And and you're an artist yourself, so.
2: Um, yeah. it. I mean, it, it, it takes on a lot of the kind of dark Gothic or punk rock imagery and marries it with stuff in the church. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm sharing and, it right now. For instance, there at, you can see it. The, yeah. They're at the top of the, the screen, you know, um, those are skulls in the monastery, right. That are put on the wall. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the same time, <clears throat> these skulls and things like that are very fashionable and, um, attractive to this yeah. punk rock kind of metal gothic aesthetic. You yeah. Know?
1: And here are the, the covers of some of the zines, um, uh, from your merch, uh, section yeah. on the website. Um, and here, here are some um, of the shirts. So the black, someone, someone uh, may look at that and say, Hey, uh, you know christianity is supposed to be you know preaching the good news that that life not death you know christ conquered yeah. death by his death um, yeah. so obviously eknechron for anyone who doesn't know it's coming from christ is from right? the dead yeah yeah christ is risen from the dead um but they want you to focus on the other part the christ is risen um uh, what do you what do you have to to say, say to those folks and
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, I encounter this quite a bit, you know, through Mm -hmm. emails or um, various interactions that we, uh, that uh, the name is too dark or the imagery is too dark and things like that. And I certainly, um, you know, can understand some of the sentiment with it. Um, But it really, um, you know, it, in order to preach the gospel to someone that is, um, totally disillusioned by any classical Christian imagery or classical Christian slogans or Bible verses or whatever it may be. Um, in order to kind of sneak in the back door, this gospel of the good news, um, death world was packaged and continues to be sort of packaged in a different way, as we talked about before. So that orthodoxy would be given a chance that <laughs> the, to be able to open up and to uh, and to speak, you know, um, but I think even further than that, you know, many, uh, and from my own experience, um, many people that are stuck in these subcultures uh, of the metal scene, of punk rock, of the gothic scene, and things like that, many people are stuck in these subcultures, um, they relate to this dark imagery because it is something that they are, are feeling on the inside. Um, mm-hmm. um, but in 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 the gothic uh, punk metal secular scenes, all of this imagery is, at the end of it is it, it's nihilistic, right? And it is um, it just leads into a further darkness. You know, it attracts towards darkness, and it leads into darkness. And as many of the very famous Punk bands in the early, you know, beginning of the movement in the late 70s, and they would say there is no future, right? We're just living. We're mm-hmm. just living day to day. There is no future. There's no end to our rebellion. There's no end to this darkness. And um, death is a reality. You know, you're born to die. Live fast, die young, you know. Um, and so the imagery of all this stuff is attractive. And, but with, with um, Death to the World, you know, it's not just some random skull or uh, whatever, sucking <laughs> one of a darker thing. It's usually, um, it's usually relics and um, saints and desert fathers and the lives of them and the casting out of demons and the real spiritual warfare that happened with like St. Anthony or some of these modern fathers um, or whatever the encounter with darkness, right. And, and the triumph over it is, mm-hmm. um, is what really death to the world is preaching. And so while one might be really attracted to the skulls on the front page of our website or, um, or some image of a, you know, a long bearded monk in a black robe, you know, holding a skull on the, on the cover of an issue or something like that. Um, it has a different story behind it than it just being dead, um, nothingness, no Mm -hmm. future, right. It has these, has all the overtones of resurrection, of conquering death, of becoming a saint, of um, living uh, contrary to our passions and contrary to the world. And that being a means for a future um, um, in paradise. And, um, a future that is not bound up by the materialism and all the disgusting stuff uh, one might be rebelling against in this world mm-hmm.
1: what it what is it about christianity where you can practice uh you know memento mori remembering death but that doesn't lead you to despair but hope and and yeah life and and the light so this is this is kind of the beginning right of 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 someone's conversion, if they're coming from the punk scene and it was yours, you didn't stop at the skulls and, (laughs) and the black and white. Um, What is it that turns that into joy and, and Mm -hmm. out of, out of Um, that instead of despair?
2: Yeah, because it gives an answer, I think to the pain and the despair that is being felt. Mm -hmm. Where in the secular world, there is no answer for it. It's just, that's how it is and how we cope with it is through our own passions. And, um, and you know, that's this how mm-hmm. it is why suicide is so rampant and drug addiction is so prevalent and alcoholism is so big in these um, subcultures because there's no mm-hmm. answer for the pain, you know? There's no answer to um, the disillusionment um, in this world and in society. So, yeah.
1: Well I think a big part of it is is looking for the true answer right because you did that really great series on your Echnecron podcast um, the survival series for orthodox christians uh, mm. I might I might be having the title wrong but that series I thought really explored um, a lot of the the fake answers you, you know you talked about Uh, eastern kind of spirituality and 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 yoga and and gurus and all of that stuff um but though but those never really satisfy their right there's a uh, yeah um i want to yeah did you want to say something
2: yeah i think i just wanted to say something here it Mm -hmm. says that on the side here it says your device is out of storage and recordings have stopped. I don't know when that came up or if that is the truth or what's going on.
1: Uh, I don't know. Um,
2: I just wanna make sure that if we I keep I, going. I, yeah, it says your device is out of storage and your recordings have stopped, please free up.
1: And- um,
2: oh no. Yeah, five five gigabytes on of storage, and restart your computer. Oh, it went away, and then it came back again. Um, I don't remember seeing that. Uh, yeah, let's just. Uh,
1: I did. I mean, I think it's still recording. Um, okay, but we're nearing the end. There's nothing I can do about it. So.
2: Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever needs to be edited and things like that
1: yeah know, so. no no it's, uh, i can't edit either, If something's
2: so. messed up here on my end but i hope hopefully not oh, that's it says okay. live it says recording you know but yeah
1: yeah so. yeah i think it's i think because it for all those who are very interested in this <laughs> i think it could be that it's also like uploading live as as mm. it's the separate recordings but
2: i see i see we'll find
1: out and uh i won't make you do this again so <laughs> uh, at <laughs> well, least one, I, I was we'll edified know, and you whatever know. we
2: have to fix you know just sure
1: sure know. thanks yeah. so much father um all right abba i want to i want to address this uh, while i have you i'm coptic orthodox uh you're you're part of the eo antiochian specifically yeah Antioch. yeah um you you agreed to come on this podcast uh no hesitation out of you know just i really appreciate that you didn't know me um what do you think is anything happening towards towards unity between all of the different orthodox families and there's different kind of people on the spectrum some that won't even recognize the coptic people as orthodox uh, Mm -hmm. and vice versa so, you know, uh, where do you land on that? And, and uh, maybe we can, you know, start some grassroots right now towards, towards <laughs> unity. Um, yeah.
2: You know, I think that there's, because
1: there's... father, listen, because I, I didn't, yeah. I, I should just, uh, I should uh, highlight this a lot right now. You said that father Turbo's uh, wife went to a Coptic guy's house and, and yes. there's an icon there. So, um, I thought, I thought that was beautiful that that was part of the origin story, although he didn't become Coptic Orthodox Mm -hmm. himself. Um, Yeah. yeah, You know, it's nice, um, but go ahead. I just wanted to bring that up one more time.
2: (laughs) No. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's definitely a wonderful thing because it is part of everything is that first icon of that Coptic man's house and his own piety, right. That really brought um, um, about this beginning of a, the grassroots uh, movement, if you will, of, of uh, looking into the early church and things like that. And, um, you know, it's a hard question, because like you said, there's, there's people that are all over this kind of, you know, spectrum on, on, on the issue and the division between, um, between, you know, the Eastern Orthodox and, and the Coptic church and, and the rest of the Oriental. Um, churches. And I think that on one hand for us to be super soft about it um, Mm -hmm. and just pretend that there's no, there was no, um, you know, real uh, theological division and things like that. I think that's a little bit naive, you know, and probably reading into history Mm -hmm. um, um, with our own kind of prejudices i think um so i don't think that it does any justice for us to just pretend like there's nothing there's no division and that no theological squabble ever took place mm-hmm. um, and then at the same time i think that it's also it can also be really detrimental as well to completely um be super hardline and not really recognize the um the spiritual legacy of the coptic church as well you know Mm -hmm. um and and just to give an example for instance you know at um i went i went when i went to seminary and i won't say which one but i'm sure people can just find out but (laughs) when i went to seminary for instance you know we had a lecture every the beginning of great lent the beginning of great lent um the first week of great Land, we always had a lecturer that would come and give us a talk you know on 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 the church or on spiritual life or whatever it was and um my three years of being there the only really um spiritually edifying talk that i remember being given that actually used um the desert fathers and the depth of their prayer life and uh, what that meant during great Lent and things like that was from a Coptic bishop that came, you know, the other two years we had um, Eastern Orthodox people that <laughs> were there um, that taught us, but none of that stu- stuck and it wasn't um, talked about, uh, you know, the spiritual life wasn't talked about with such um piety or understanding, probably, um, as this Coptic bishop had given to us. So I think that there's there's something to recognize, this inheritance of the Desert Fathers. That's very, very um, prevalent within the Coptic church and the love for the Desert Fathers and desert monasticism. Um, this is an inheritance that has been given, that has continued, I think, um, to be loved and adored and cherished. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the coptic people um is something that really needs to be admired um and looked looked at with with um with eyes of edification you know um, mm-hmm. because um they the coptic people will put many of our you know our in our quote-unquote intellectual orthodox theologians to shame um because of the love for asceticism and the mystical life and um, the devotion and piety and services and things like that, right? So there's some love to be had uh, with that and and some ears that should be open um, mm-hmm. for edification um, in that regard. So, But at the same time, I think we have to also come into a really deep dialogue um, and a real dialogue of what, What exactly are our differences, and how do we overcome those things theologically? You know, Um, I
1: who needs needs to be having that dialogue? Like,
2: I think our our hierarchs need to be having that dialogue. mm -hmm. I
1: why aren't they? I mean, why do you think they aren't? You don't know, obviously. Is it just (laughs) is it just not an important thing? Like,
2: that is because I I wonder. Like,
1: is is just everyone just content with hey we can all just. Well, I think that's autonomously part of the and
2: I think that I think that's part of the problem with um, maybe just treating this issue like a non-issue, right mm-hmm. And saying, oh, there was no real historical theological difference. There was no difference in confession. It was all political, it was all this, it was all that. And when we sweep that under the rug and kind of make it a non-issue, then mm-hmm. there's just kind of this, oh, we're just content and dialoguing and taking pictures together and, you know, um, maybe praying together at services or something like this, or inviting a Coptic bishop to stand in the front pew or something, yeah, or, right, right, or maybe, and these kinds of, these kinds of things, I kind of, I lament over them because they, on one hand, they look like they are like, uh, bridging a gap. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, um, it it's a little bit of a false unity because there's not this real dialogue that I think needs to really happen. You know, um, mm-hmm. we can't overcome, um, you know, real theological differences by just saying, Oh, it was all in the, it was all in the past or mm-hmm. "water under the bridge, or there was, there was all political. There was no like big, <laughs> veteran, right. We have right. to, we have to grapple with, um, with you know saints that that in our hymnography you know um are are triumphant over certain heresies and and will maybe even specify um people who are venerated right in Mm -hmm. in the coptic church and so uh we have to start having these dialogues of well how do we overcome this issue how do we um talk about um these figures in the early church, and how do we talk about um the 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 fourth ecumenical council and also the fifth ecumenical council that was very big in our in in a division as well um mm-hmm. you know those things really have to be hashed out you know we can 't just start having liturgy together and start communing with one another because it would be i think that it would be um a a big mistake for both parties you know um we -hmm. owe it to each other i think and to our saints of the past who have suffered over these issues um to really have a a, an honest dialogue about it an honest um talk about it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i'm not a big fan of all the uh (laughs) it seems very political you know let's take a picture together let's do these you know prayer days together and whatever and it's like this it's nice but you know let's let's be real about it um is there someone that a scholar a theologian a layman a priest a clergyman anyone in the coptic church that maybe you look to now because i don't know what it is from from the other side's perspective who Mm -hmm. maybe they may give some credibility towards or or credence to, uh, or does it have to happen? Like, I mean, obviously it has to happen with like specific offices, right? Like some layman has no authority to, to, (laughs) to bridge the, to bridge the gap. Like, so obviously it has to happen, like on a a synod level and with the bishops and things like that. But um, is there anyone just, I mean, I'll start, I'll start with just, I, I always thought, and, and I'm going to confess right now, um, when I was younger, I was very like, had that like Coptic uh, pride, you know, and I was looked yeah. at the EO and I was like, man, yeah, they're so, they're so smart and they read a lot of books and, and yada, yada, but the spirit's not there. You know, mm. we have, we have, we have that early church spirit and, and the, the monastic, you know, um, Life is present, and even like in the world, um, to mm-hmm. a certain degree, with the fasting and all of that. I was completely wrong, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> the more I get, the more I get to know um, the leaders and the people in the EO, like yourself, and 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 Father Josiah Trenum, and, and all these great people. I'm like, uh, these are really devout, spiritual people. And when I saw the the movie Man of God about Albert that's like. I don't know if this is legal or not. And I, I just say that jokingly. That's like my patron saint. I, I, I love that guy. Um, and what I loved most about the, the whole movie was, was two parts where one, where he asks, uh, I guess, the principal or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. do you have peace? You know, are you at peace? Mm-hmm. And you could see that up in Ictarius, just he had that peace, you know. Yeah. And then the other part was where they're kind of raiding the the monastery. Mm-hmm. um and they're persecuting him and he and and all the the nuns are uh, at the convent are just kind of looking towards him to do something and he just kind of does one of these shh and points yeah. up yeah um, that that God's got this kind of so I learned so I learned so much and, and I continue to learn so much from you and your lectures and not just theological things and and historical and all philosophical but spiritual um, you know an
2: interesting. String in Saint Nectarius's life is that um, in his theological school, uh, mm-hmm. one of the he educated uh, when he was a teacher at the school, he educated one of the Coptic popes around. No him. way. Yeah, that that went to that went to a theological school in Greece under Nectarius, then went back and was and was elevated. Um, I forget his I forget his name but mm-hmm. it would be, you know, one of his contemporaries, or at least maybe was a child during the time of St. then maybe after his repose became, but I'm not sure exactly.
1: Because he was, he was originally based in Egypt, right?
2: Yeah, he was originally um, in Egypt. Um, Pentapolis is the place that he was made a bishop of, and then... Um, he then obviously because of the, the rumors of scandal and things like that was exiled.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that EO really like uh, father, Matthew, the poor. Yeah. Have you yeah. read his works? And, it's a famous, and...
2: is a famous one. And you know, who else is famous too? Um, well, not super famous, probably, probably more um, Eastern Orthodox have, have, you know come across quotes by matthew the poor and stuff like that than this figure but um but many people including some priests have you know read the life of um pope Cyrilos, right and been really
1: um
3: oh yeah mm-hmm. inspired
2: by by his especially how how he came to be pope right and his humble beginnings and his monastic beginnings and Um, Mm -hmm. Things like that are very inspiring as well. Yeah,
1: I don't really know that. You don't have to give me the whole structure now, but for the Coptic people listening, the structure of the the hierarchical structure of the EO Church is seems a lot more decentralized than the like obviously within the Oriental family. There's 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 the seven different families, but the Coptic Church the structure is pretty clear. but you, for example, you know, you're Antiochian, I think your bishop is in New York, right? Am I right yeah. there? Yeah. Um, so it's is it like less geographically based? Um, can you can you, in a in a simple way, explain the structure?
2: Yeah, the... I mean, it, it's a little. I I think it's a little bit similar to mm-hmm. the Orientals because you have these. Different different families, right? The Ethiopians and um and the some Armenian. of the, the, the Armenians mm-hmm. and then there's a Malankara church then the Malankara church, right? But I know there's like a different Malankara church that maybe is not in communion with the Syri- Syriacs or something like no, that. Correct, right? yeah. Um but So, you have all of them, right? And they and, and all of them have come to America for the most part and have set up for the most part um, different jurisdictions here in America. Um, it's the same, it's very similar with, with, um, with us is that we had all of the Russians, Greeks, um, Syrians, right, come from different parts of the world and come establish the Greek Orthodox Church in America or the Antiochian Archdiocese here in America, the Russian Orthodox Church outside of Russia when <clears throat> um, it was under communism um, and the, you know, the, the the homeland was under communism and things like that. And so um, the way that things were set up here was very, you know, decentralized. You know, we hope that one day there will be in God's time and when, you um, when we kind of maybe grow up a little bit, uh, that there'll be a a, a, a orthodox uh, primate of America of all of America, right? Mm-hmm. Where all of the Orthodox churches uh, fall under his jurisdiction, you know. Um, but for right now, we've got you know uh, we've got the Serbs, we've got the Greeks, we've got um, the Russians, we've got the Syrians, and they're all. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes have three bishops in the same city, right? Mm. Um, And that is totally contrary to canon law and (laughs) totally uh, irregular, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And unfortunately, this has become kind of a pattern in all parts of the world where um, refugees have have gone um, and established uh, various churches throughout Europe, In the, in the in the new world in South America and North America um, same thing in, in other parts of of different other other parts of the world but
1: because it's all it's it's almost like you're making culture first as opposed to faith right it's,
2: yeah and you yeah. know Saint Tikhon, um, one of our saints who came here in America um, you know he the way that the 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 church the Orthodox church was ruled here in America in the very beginning was, um, was a much more regular and that is they were all under uh, for the most part all under the the Russian primate which was Saint Ticon, um for mm-hmm. a period of time and um, under him he had Saint Raphael of Brooklyn who catered to the Syrians who came over here right um, and so there were different arms if you will within one jurisdiction that catered to the language or the ethnicity, if you will, of, um, of the various Orthodox all through America. Right. And that was a great structure because you had one primate, right. One uh, metropolitan of America or Bishop of America. Mm -hmm. And under him, he would oversee uh, various uh, bishops who maybe spoke uh, greek or spoke russian or spoke mm-hmm. um, arabic and would be able to minister to the different pockets of mm-hmm. of these ethnicities it's kind of like how big cities have a Chinatown and a korea <laughs> town and, right,
3: right? right yeah and little yeah.
2: saigon or something like that right and so the church was kind of it it, it was carrying out its missionary work um mm-hmm. to the american people but at the same time had um, a pastoral eye out for those who needed it right uh, mm-hmm. culturally coming over here and being overwhelmed with this new place and needing to hang on to their orthodoxy and um, but after after Saint Tikhon went back to Moscow and everything happened with World War One and the uh, onset of communism in in russia and the breakdown of the church under persecution that uh structure kind of fell apart um so we all went back if you will to kind of our uh motherland the motherland mentality yeah you know? and there has been times you know over the past hundred years of uh since that time of saint ticon to kind of uh, merge all of the churches um, together and there's other times where like we're going to go into our own corners maybe maybe this will work maybe it won't work and so I mean mm-hmm. in time in time uh, God will allow us to uh, to come together you know yeah.
1: um, well maybe not I don't want to be a Debbie Downer but is this like maybe a fulfillment of revelations where you know the church is just divided and and perhaps i mean
2: perhaps, uh, <laughs> perhaps, you know, okay. perhaps i mean i think that there's there's some good that has come out of i, I don't want to say has come out of the the division because division is never good but there has mm-hmm. been some good things that have been preserved if you will i think mm-hmm. because of a an attachment to the motherland right mm-hmm. or the homeland um I think that there are certain things that have, that have been preserved in the churches because of that mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are things that are destructive, you know, with that mentality. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a, you know, you have some wins Give on and take, the, yeah. some, some wins on the other.
1: Mm-hmm. What's, what's life like in uh in Lompoc where you live?
2: <laughs> it's great. It's a small town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 45,000 people. Um, And you know people around town. You know the mayor. Know the mayor. (laughs) No traffic. No billboards. Uh Um, Clear skies. For the most part. Not all the time. And great weather. And uh,
1: You don't want to go back to the OC there? Oh, no. Transfer you to a parish there? Oh, no. no.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Leave me alone in my village, I say. (laughs) <laughs> Sometimes we have we go down to visit family or after I go down for clergy things to Orange County or to LA and um you know getting into LA it's like man so not missing this. I'm not not <laughs> missing the billboards, the advertisements, the big trucks, the, especially the traffic and uh all kinds of things, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's
1: this, in your life now, you're you're kind of more tied to the land in a way. You sounds yeah. like you got some animals and stuff going on there. Yeah, thought I heard walk. some ducks or yeah, probably something, something was making noise throughout there.
2: the interview. You've probably heard ducks quacking and dogs barking. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. raise ducks and we sell duck eggs to restaurants here.
4: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it's one of the things that we do and uh, gives our our kids a good. Uh, like good experience in childhood and taking care of animals and taking care of the land and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. so we found living here is is a lot more conducive to a a slower uh pace of life and a much quieter type of life and with less distraction and the great thing about it i mean i've said all these other things about weather and geography and population and streets and things like that but um all of the people live at least they live at, at most who live in town 15 minutes away from the parish mm. and, um if somebody's traveling far they maybe live a half an hour or 40 minutes away from the parish and so we have services every day we have liturgy very often and People are able to come, you know, they're not bound by traffic um, and things like that. There's not really too many impediments um, that keep them from being able to live out the liturgical life and praying in the church every Sunday and things like that. And so that's the most beautiful part of it all Mm -hmm. is that we're able to have that kind of quiet, um, slower paced life with as many services as uh, as we want uh, together, mm-hmm. close knit community together.
1: It, se- it seems to me like that's how we were meant to live that slower, quieter Definitely. life tied to the land where you have a stake in it. You're <laughs> living off of it. Um, but I don't I don't know if you've heard about these kind of movements and pushes to re- really restrict like local farming and, and selling yeah. of, of goods you you can make it you make it on your own land i know this is happening a lot in canada mm-hmm. um is that and not to be conspiratorial again but is that just another you know another it, not it's like it's always done under the pretext of safety right yeah yeah we we, there's you know these are unregulated you know blah 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 but is it is it really like this lifestyle is just makes people more peaceful (laughs) and they might find god if they're peaceful yeah
2: it's more (laughs) natural you know um Um, what's great about this town too is that since it's small and for the most part uh mostly blue collar workers you mm -hmm. know here um it's a little bit more down to earth and mm-hmm. uh things like the COVID craziness that maybe you experienced in la was like nothing up here mm-hmm. uh, and we're probably like five years behind everybody else and a lot of things uh from internet to paying bills online to <laughs> um, you know, and then all the way to the other stuff the lgbtq culture and things like that mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's so far um, removed, I guess, from what is happening in big cities, you know, Um, I'm always shocked. And I tell my people, you know, who spend most of their life here and almost never leave, you know, that they don't really know how good they have it. Because when I go to visit Los Angeles or whatever, you know, it's, it's really shocking to see Mm -hmm. where culture has gone and how far, removed yeah. from you know moral christian morality um we've gotten um it's something that we don't really think about too much here because we don't see it mm-hmm. uh, at least yet. we don't see and, it and
1: people aren't happy they're not happy in these big cities they just like right. you just look at people's faces this just right, right, they just right. looks sad man, all the right, time yeah. right, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. it's um, oppressive
2: it's oppressive yeah and here we have I, the clean fresh air and slower pace of life yeah. and i, I hear that speed.
1: talked about a lot now actually um by more like conservative people about architecture itself architecture mm-hmm. itself can be designed in a way that uh, causes you to admire beauty absolutely and god and, and nature or it can be oppressive it can just you know you're absolutely. living in this concrete jungle you know That's surrounded so. by towers that all look the same and yeah they're gray and dark and
2: yeah, I don't um, think we have a, ta- a, a a building in our town that is higher than three stories. Wow. So when we go to like Los Angeles with our kids, they see like a seven-story building. <laughs> like
0: That is a huge skyscraper! Skyscraper!
3: <laughs> Tower of Babel. Uh, yeah.
2: yeah, it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, that's so funny um so de- definitely don't miss the big city um i saw on your pinterest that you were looking at uh, this is from while, a while ago um, i just do a deep dive on people when i when i interview them but you had you 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 had some saved things about kind of the architecture of a church with the nave and and, and all of that stuff um do you get do you guys have a like a new constructed building was it is it is it structured that way? And um, we, do you guys have plans for the future? What what's the what's the yeah. status of St. Timothy right now? If you it's can also give us maybe a little history on it, those your service
2: saving, there. Th- those like save stuff is probably from when we were doing a lot of remodeling.
3: Mm-hmm. So when I
2: came here, we basically gutted the entire church worship area and rebuilt it all um we retile we from paint on the walls to the tile on the floor um a lot of the iconography too um has been an ongoing um improvement and things that we've done and so um i like to look at a lot of references from churches or classical architecture or um i visit sometimes the um spanish mission over here and i kind of like to look at the kind of what christianity first looked like when it came here Mm -hmm. you know um, through the spaniards and um borrow some of that uh, those ideas once in a while when we're working on things of the church Mm -hmm. Um, right now we're in a pretty small space and um on a really good sunday um there's almost nowhere to to be inside of the church you know so mm-hmm. at, some, at some point we are yeah looking for a different place yeah.
1: and yeah. you're you're kind of contributing to that that blessing you've got five kids yourself right
2: yeah
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah
1: yeah exactly that's, that's exactly. awesome um, yeah
2: so so um hopefully one day you know god willing we'll we'll have Uh, we'll have another place to be, Mm -hmm. you know, we just, we've outgrown our building. We don't really have room for the kids uh, for like a Sunday school and stuff like that for the kids and um, other things. So I'm definitely had my eye on a few different places in town and uh, hopefully one day Mm -hmm. we'll be able to land one of those.
1: God willing. You mentioned taking some of the Spanish style from the missions that were there. Um, and I've heard you mention this before about St. Paul saying um, that uh, he became all things for all people. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what that what that means? Because some people can take that in like a raw, like too far. How, sure. do you, how do you become all things for all people so that you can bring them to Christ?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think St. Paul's um, St. Paul's life is a great example of that. Because when he came um, amidst the Greeks, you know, when he was in Athens, he went to, he, he didn't just go in there, you know, Bible thumping and preaching hellfire, you know, to, to convert people. He went around and he inspected the culture and he went to all the different authors, or sorry, altars um, mm-hmm. in Athens and he found one to the unknown God right? And that's what he used to preach from. He didn't uh, outright start saying all these other gods are false. We need to throw them down, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like that came later um, when the gospel was able to be heard. But in order for people to hear the gospel, he used part of their culture. So he said, you know, let's talk about the un- let's talk about this unknown God. I want to tell you about this unknown God because I know who he is, right? Mm-hmm. And he used that to explain who Christ is. And that was the way in which he um, brought the gospel to those people. So he used part of their culture, part of something that they were familiar with. Um, and a mystery i guess in their culture in order to convey the truth to them so their ears wouldn't be shut up right away right Mm. yeah Um, it's like a it's a great you know if we're if the apostles are fishermen right they knew how to Mm -hmm. uh, lure their their prey if you will um uh how to cast their net how to bait their hook Mm -hmm. um to be able to catch the nations and um, we have to do the same thing. Of course, like you said, we can't go, can't go over the top, right? We can't say, well, I'm going to go to, um, this, these concerts or, uh, clubs or whatever. And I'm going to convert people by being like, them, right. <laughs> it's not about, it's not about assimilating mm-hmm. um, the culture and becoming like the culture in order, order to convey the gospel, right. It's about, um, being wise and using something in in a person's life or in a person's culture, and using that or to bait and to hook uh, somebody into receiving the gospel and opening their heart. Right, I um, that's what death of the world what was doing is that it was this uh, bait and hook. Um, it was setting a trap, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. I know some people might maybe not like that terminology because. It's not good to set traps for people, but when it's to bring what what, but when it's to resurrect people and bring them hope, and they would otherwise not uh, listen or shut up their mm-hmm. ears real quick, you know, then then it becomes something that is um, that is out of love and for one what we see as for one's own benefit, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: So awesome, Father, and uh, I know you've helped uh, a lot of people um, having the spirit of St. Paul come to, come to Christ for those who, uh, maybe are just finding out about you through this and, and want to, you know, keep in contact with you and, and, and your lectures and your work and death to the world, where, where can they find you and, um, how do, how do they do that?
2: Yeah. So they can find death to the world just by going to death to the world.com. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, with no spaces or hyphens or anything. And um, you can follow us on Instagram, um, on Facebook, though I don't really, we don't really interact through Facebook too much. Uh, a lot of our posts on Facebook just come from our Instagram itself. Um, and there's also a podcast called Ecnecron that you can get through Apple or through Spotify, and that's linked on the website as well um, to hear different talks and lectures and stuff like that. Um, through there so
3: okay
1: uh, do you want to take us out on a short prayer Abba. yeah
2: definitely okay. in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit it is truly meet to bless thee the theotokos ever blessed and all blameless and the mother of our god more honorable than the cherubim beyond compare more glorious than the seraphim who without corruption gave us birth to god the word and are truly theotokos thee to be magnified through the prayers of our holy fathers our lord jesus christ our god Have mercy on us and save us.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father.
2: Of course. It was wonderful to meet you and and to have this conversation.
1: It was my pleasure.